should be able to balance the size of the sun and make it so it stopped expanding just like um and then preserve our planet that way mm. so that it doesn't get too hot and then the way i was thinking of doing that is with an electro laser so you basically electrify gas turn it into and then shoot the sun with the laser because at first i was like we're just going to shoot hydrogen into it but that seemed really weird like what do we do drop hydrogen no so if we can just like aim lasers at the sun and, and hit it with electrolyte that might that might actually work So welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today we have Ian Crossland, co-host of Timcast IRL and self-confessed DMT graphene and uh, Federal Reserve bashing enthusiast. I really do love DMT. <laughs> well, I, I mean, lot. yeah. Why do you, when you like when you talked to like where did you first even like hear about this? Oh, uh, probably I'm, I was like 20, 28. 27 at first i'd heard about mushrooms and then acid i've always known about you know but then i don't remember i was in venice california and hanging out with a bunch of hippies and then all of a sudden i started hearing about dmt and like i'd never heard of it before before 2007 or something and then all of a sudden i hear it people are like you gotta smoke this guy's gotta smoke dmt like i was making youtube videos and i'd get this comment every once in a while i was like i don't even know what it is and then i have a really good friend who was like oh you're gonna love dmt and then I started to find out it's produced in the brain in every living creature and how, how organic it is. I don't know the car, the molecular structure of it, but it's like a supernatural uh, ingredient basically. Mm. Like my, one of my best friends is, is like constantly teetering on the edge of trying of, of, of thinking he's going to try it as we've one friend that has tried it, but he won't say much about it. And like, we're, we're like, what fascinates you about it more than like, say LSD or, or mushrooms? Like what, what makes you so, I don't know, like enthusiastic about it? I've only smoked it once and I didn't take a huge hit. They say you want to take it and break, you break through where you like, you hold it in a huge hit and you hold it in for as long as you can. And then you like release it and you go into this like transcendental, you know, experience. I didn't do that. I didn't take it that far. I just puffed on it. And I had like a pure kind of a purifying experience. The thing I noticed the most about it is different from like mushrooms and acid was how, how clean I felt when it was done. I, it was like, I, it was very, uh, to, to use that word clean in regards to using a, a substance was like, I've never felt like that, that pure after I took a, a drug. If you want, can even call it a drug. It's like an organic chemical compound. Mm. I mean, like there's a lot of people who, who have spoken about how they think that maybe Moses was like inhaling or like, like inhaling some sort of like DMT when he, when he had the, the burning bush. Cause they think it was, is it the Acacia bush? Yeah. And that's like rich in DMT. And they think, they think that when he was like, when the, the, the burning bush is like a, like a metaphor for, for like, even just like exactly this bush that was on fire and that he like breathed in the fumes. And then he felt like he was speaking to God. And a lot of people have described like taking DMT as like a religious experience. And like, did, did you like that sort of like clean feeling that you're talking about would sort of suggest that, that that's, that, that, that that's not uncommon. Probably not. Yeah. I imagine if it was like a super intensified experience, how, how it would have, cleansed other aspects of my my being like when i took it i was sitting in a room with 
um, with some friends and we went to this guy's house to meet up with him and smoke some DMT. And I just met the guy and the guy was brewing algae in his room. He had all these tanks behind him of like bubbling and, and they were green, like and bubbling and, and the algae was growing in these tanks. And it was like, that was trippy enough when we got there and then we smoked the DMT and I, I just like watched him and he was like sinking into his chair and I could see him being like sucked down to the earth. I could see his skin just being pulled and I saw gravity at work. And like, I'm so, I think in, in life right now we're being sucked down. We're just so desensitized to the way it makes our bodies look that we don't see it. But this DMT like resensitized me to the superstructure. And I, I was like, oh, I'm on earth. I'm, I'm, I'm near a planet that's pulling me, to, that's sucking us towards it. Wow. So that's kind of made me want to smoke it in space. Yeah, I was about to ask, like, do you think if you smoked it in space, you get like a different experience of, of yeah. what, what you're witnessing? Yeah, definitely. Oh, it's a good thing I got my ticket to the moon. Yeah, me too. My, with my GMT stock. We got to go into orbit and smoke some DMT. <laughs> You reckon you could convince Elon Musk that that's like a necessary like test for when he's launching his rockets? You'd be like, look, Elon, we're not going to pay for the tickets, but it's for research purposes. Maybe not necessary, but valuable. Mm. I think I could convince him it would be a valuable test. You have to you have to get Tim to get him on the on the podcast and then pitch it to him. Yeah, I want to talk about AI with him. AI simulation theory and definitely DMT. I mean, like, yeah, you're familiar with his with his like theory on on uh, on why he thinks we're in a simulation. Like, for anyone listening, it's it's basically that if if humanity gets to the point where we can produce like lifelike simulations, that we will, and we won't simply stop at one. So, if it's something that we are capable of in the future, then the chances of us not being in it are are like infinitesimal compared to the amount of different like like simulation worlds that that, that we create like we yeah, have what, what do you what do you are we in a simulation uh i don't i don't know i and i i do take issue with his with that statement i've heard him make that statement that if it's possible that we technology has like a zero-sum game or however you want to look at it that it's constantly building towards this sim this system that we build that, that eventually one day we will build it that it is likely that it has already happened. I think that just because something is possible and even likely doesn't mean that it is probable. So there's a there's a chance we're in a simu that we've created a simulation that we're inside of right now. But I would never use the word likely. He I, I think he's kind of alluded to the to the belief that it's likely that we're in a simulation. I just I just haven't gone that far. I think that we're we're simulating like vibration as senses we call them senses you know sight we, we're simulating like ones and zeros that are bouncing off of our nervous system and then we're recalculating it as like sight sound so in that sense we're simulating the the experience and yes so that is a form of simulation mm. but whether or not we're in like a, a machine that we built i don't know it, it seems actually it seems unlikely to me but no, no, in no way does that make it not possible. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's very few things that aren't possible. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, I would even think that we will build that in the future. I just don't know if we have yet. Yeah, I mean, one. Uh, do you know who uh, Graham ha Graham Hancock is? I love him. Yeah. Mm, like, who's to say that 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 ancient civilization that he he talks about weren't capable of something like that? I wonder about that, like Atlantis or the people even around that time, like the the I don't know who the Denisovans, whoever they were. But I, I actually I'm kind of working on a screenplay about that. And I wonder if they had electricity. I, I think like 
the, the Atlantis Atlas, the king of Mauritania, who they apparently named Atlantis after in the Atlantic Ocean after mm. uh, developed the first globe. He's he's credited with building the first globe. And so I think that means that they they were the first to circumnavigate the world and to know that it was round. And I wonder if they had in my theory, in my movie and in my in my dreams, I think like, oh, maybe they had radio. Maybe they were able to communicate with their boats like over long distances. I and then like maybe they had te- maybe they had like Tesla cannon. Maybe they had like lightning rod. Like they could shoot electric arc electricity because electricity is not that complex. You know the Baghdad battery mm. in ancient Egypt. They could produce light light bulbs and stuff in the pyramids. There's no smoke in uh, or fire marks in any of the pyramids because they've got these they've got images of like holding these big batteries. What you do is you take a clay pot with an iron rod wrapped with ky- copper wire and then you fill it with vinegar and it produces an electrical charge. And you link up a bunch of those pots together and you can produce a really powerful electrical charge. Mm. And like Zeus is credited with shooting lightning and controlling lightning. So that makes me think that he had access to some sort of electricity and just told people it was magic. Yeah, I've never considered that before, actually. That being because, yeah, as soon as once you as soon as you start to consider like because the Graham Hancock talks in um, I'm just sort of at the tail end of uh, Fingerprints of the Gods. And, and then I want to move on to some of his other work. But I wanted to start with the first book when I started reading this stuff. And uh, once, once you start thinking about the idea that all of these ancient creation myths were based on, on pretty real events, because like he kind of he alludes to the, the idea in, in Fingerprints of the Gods that a lot of these kind of like catastrophic like creation events like volcanoes and, and tidal waves and rising seas were all like actual events. And that this is like the closest thing we have to memory of these things. And then when he did his work with Randall Carlson and they discovered that there was some like seriously big asteroid impacts around uh, 14,000 and uh, 11,000 years ago that uh, like they believe started and ended the last ice age. Although I know I know there's like a, a Utah um, thing where they think that we're still coming out of the the end of the last ice age. But like the, 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 the globe was actually like experiencing all these like catastrophic events. And that, that like we, as soon as you start to consider that those are potentially like based on very real events, then, then your mind can really start to run and they're like, right, well, what other creation myths and like gods and, and demigods myths are, are, are like also based on like real things. Yeah. Have you heard of the Vimana? No. I don't there are these, so. there's these ancient flying machines and apparently the, there's a, a sultan, the Arabian Nights. I think this story is based off of a guy that would fly around in his Vimana, this king. And he had like, they said like he had his entire, I don't know if his entire palace or his entire kingdom on a flying ship, but he must have had it. When I think about that, I think hot air balloons probably were very common. When I think of like the angels and the demons of, of the biblical history, they could fly. And I think they had hang gliders and they had like that kind of like gliding tech. Uh, but they were just told people they could fly because they were they were like, you know, taking advantage of these of these people. Um, and the Vimana, maybe they had a bunch of hot air balloons and they would fly these giant platforms around those. That's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And they would like, yeah, the, the story of the Vimana is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, you look at the, the Nazca lines and you, you you had to have been able to see like someone had to have been able to look at that from the air for them to have bothered to make that on the ground. You know, they're, they're, un, unless they they legit believe that it's for the gods to see, but I can't see people dedicating something like that without being able to like look at it themselves. Do you know what I yeah. mean? It's too they're too accurate to do without. I would think that 
to do without seeing it from above. They're so like organized and structured and what you, you really don't even see what it is until you get high up. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some photos that people have taken from, from like planes and, and whatnot from like 10,000 feet. And that like that point you get like a real idea of, of like, not only like the scale of these things, but just like how that's the, that's the only vantage point. Like, even if you're on like a mountain nearby, you, you still don't get the same like idea of, of how they look from, from, from like right above them. And what, what's a hot air balloon. It's like a big canvas could be animal skin, could be, could be cotton. I don't know. You could just make a big canvas and then you heat the air up with fire and it, it floats. And if people, they, all they did was sit around and stare at the sky. I mean, they, they basically had all the time in the world over millennia, thousands and tens and hundreds of probably hundreds of thousands of years to figure this to experiment and do this stuff. I, it would be, I'd be blown away if they didn't have at least hot air balloon tech. And yeah. If you if you put electricity into that, I don't know if they really ever got into orbit. I've never seen any any evidence that they escaped the atmosphere, mm. but but I'm, I'm almost undoubtedly that they were flying. Yeah, I mean, like there's there's the thing that the one of the things that like really like convinced me that Graham Hancock's work was was like credible was when he starts talking about the Piri Reese map, and it's a map of of the 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 globe um, drawn in like 1300 like before Columbus um, had like landed in America and he, I think it was then anyway, but it was like somewhere in the middle ages and the map, the guy who, who drew it, Perry Reese, he said that it was based on older maps that were from the library of Alexandria. And they have like, like perfect, perfect like dimensions of like the edges of all the continents. Like the, because latitude's super easy to measure because all you need is the sun. But longitude is a bitch. Like you, you, it's super difficult to calculate. We only figured that out in like the late 1700s, and and yet this this map that's based on on maps that were some thousands of years old was totally accurate to to like the contours of the edges of the continents. And like if they were able to figure that out, like uh, something that took us until till like the late 17 or the late 18th century, like I think it's inconceivable to to think that they didn't at least have some sort of like hang glider technology or hot air balloons or something like if they were sophisticated enough to work out a machine that calculated longitude at sea then surely they should have been able to fly yeah and it makes me think that they had physics that they that they'd started to experiment with like like complex mathematics and maybe i i keep thinking that they hoarded knowledge and stored it on the island of Atlantis and like kept it in the palace. At least this is how I, how I write the story. And when the mud flood came, when the tidal wave just surged mud up over the palace and destroyed everything, it, all that knowledge was lost. And some of it escaped, like some knowledge escaped into Eastern Africa, into Egypt and into Turkey to the, what's that? What's that big temple in Turkey called? Um, uh, Gobekli Tepe. Yeah, Gobekli Tepe, where all these people, it looks like they harbored after the, the cataclysm. But maybe not all the information. And mm. and if they're mapping the globe, that takes some serious... I, I think it takes math. I don't know, to be honest. I'm, it, I'm definitely not an expert. It's got it's got to require math, because like the, the machine to calculate longitude, um, like the, the most difficult thing is to get it to work at sea. Um, because something to do with like the way the waves like screw with the machine while it's while it's moving, um, and also like to be able to to calculate that stuff, you have to have like serious mathematics. But even just the 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 amount of like calculations it required to build things like the pyramids, 
Like you, you got to be, they have to have, have had seriously, seriously complex and accurate, like construction and mathematics in order to, to make something like that. The way they would cut the stone, especially there's the, the theory uh, that makes the most sense to me about how they build those is that they have like wooden uh, trellises and lattices around it as they were building and that they would flood uh, like these these ramps with water and then they'd put the blocks in the water. They'd actually cut the blocks in the water and the blocks would be floating and then they'd like they could, they'd be able to turn the blocks and cut them as they would turn them and they would keep the workers cool while they would work. And then they'd be covered and then they'd float the blocks up. There's these like videos of this on YouTube and they can show the actual construction. They'd float the blocks up these like channels and then like drop some wood down to, to stop it. And then they'd float them up the rest of the way. And when they got up there, they'd drop another like stopper down and then they'd float them up. And that's how they would get the blocks up. Whoa, I didn't know that. Sounds yeah. seriously cool. I have to check that out. Yeah. And I think that the pyramids were like filled with water. You see these like tiny little channels like angular holes dug from a chamber to chamber and like they're obviously not for people they people don't fit through them and so i'm imagining that they use them like batteries like the the they they were they tipped them with gold for some reason the, the top tip it could have just been a spiritual thing but it, gold's also a superconductor and i've heard that they're above like uh what are they called these telaric current pathways in the earth so that they're tap that they're tapping into like some vibrative energy field I don't know if they use the water in the pyramids actually to enhance the electricity, but I, other than that, I cannot figure for the life of me what they would have been used for. Like mm -hmm. they say they're tombs, but they're just, there's water channels and stuff and you know, the, the fluid channels. I don't know what those would have been for. Yeah. I mean, like the, the there's the, that, there's the theory that those like the, the, the shafts that are cut at those specific angles are, or like a, like a mathematical kind of like game because of the way the angles kind of line up with um, like different, different like mathematical formulas, like the, especially I think the ratios involved in like the actual like shape of the pyramid itself is, is like all centered around the, the number pi. And um, there's a the theory that this was like a message through the, the, through the ages to, to tell people that they understood mathematics in a way that, that, that could never be lost. Oh, interesting. Mm. yeah it's a cool one i mean like there's so much speculation you can go into about like like uh, it, ancient egypt in itself fascinates me i mean like have you heard the you heard the story that that uh napoleon spent a night inside the great pyramid um right down in the in the in the the king's chamber i think it is and uh he came out in the morning like looking like white as a ghost and freaked out as fuck and then like would never talk about it oh wild they would like cut people's brains open the egyptians and they found the eye of horus what they called it was basically the pineal gland in the middle of the brain and they where the dmt is produced in this pineal gland in the middle of your brain and they they were so drawn to that that thing that that gland that they created a holy symbol out of it like a, if you look at it from the side and they called it the eye of horus mm. the third eye yeah, yeah, yeah. it's I didn't know that's what human it, brains. Yeah, I didn't know that's what that represented. That's really cool. Isn't that nuts? Yeah, look at a pineal gland, a brain dissected, and you see the eye of Horus. It looks like the eye of Horus. Oh, that's the same one that you got above the 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 what do you call it? Um, above the pyramid on the dollar sign, right? Yeah, I think so. Let me look. Yeah, on the, on the on American. The, 
like the all-seeing eye yeah is it the eye of horror that's fucking that's freaky dude. i didn't i didn't i'm not sure i just I like that's just pure speculation right now <laughs> no no it's a more of a just a regular looking eye isn't that crazy that on the american dollar there's a there's like the eye of mordor yeah. staring at us <laughs> what the fuck is that supposed to represent yeah. that they're always watching maybe I mean, maybe it was, uh, yeah, I don't know. You, you have to ask the Masons. They're the ones that, they were all Masons when they're not like all the, all the founding fathers. And there's a bunch of Latin all over the town. It's crazy how, mm. how like cryptic it is. Was Latin still spoken at that time? When they made these Federal Reserve notes? I don't think so. This is like in the last hundred years that they, although I don't know the history of the, uh, the all seeing eye atop the pyramid. Mm. <laughs> On a pyramid. It's the mm. American dollar. It's the all seeing eye over a pyramid. Yeah. Like, what does the what do the pyramids have to do with the United States? I have no idea. I mean, yeah, maybe someone does. Yeah, I mean, like, like, I just want to Google that right now. Actually, let's let's have a look at this. Why is there a pyramid on the dollar? It's crazy. Maybe I can bring one up and look at it. It says the pyramid was seen as a kind of human structure that lasted out the ages. But the pyramid and the eye wasn't on the dollar bill until 1935. Wow. Mm. You know why they added it? Just looking on Wikipedia here. It's called the Eye of Providence. Meant to represent divine providence, whereby the eye of God watches over humanity. Oh, that's supposed to be the eye of God. Yeah. I mean, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, I'm going to bring up... Uh an image of it on my on my monitor it's so nuts yeah isn't it yeah the symbolism generally just like fascinates me i mean like i, I always loved um i know it's like it's a bit of a cliched film but like national treasure i always enjoyed like their little treasure hunt um sort of like i'm looking at the symbology and like all of the dan brown books as well even though he's not like the greatest author in the world like i really enjoy his books like like the da vinci code and whatnot like it's it takes a long time to figure out a story based on on like symbology like that especially when it's just like he's 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 like i love the way he kind of like weaves history and um fiction in one where you can't really tell what's exactly true and what's not and like after you finish reading you're like you have to like you have to go and check what's true and what's not <laughs> what did you did you read why there's a pyramid why they have a pyramid on the dollar yeah it says it's a uh, pyramids went to be uh it's um it's like a, it's meant to be a human structure that lasted out the ages. So it's like meant to be like a symbol of, of like, I don't know, fortitude and, and like, um, I can't think of the right word that, that like basically that they, they want to symbolize that the, the dollar or America will last as long as the pyramids have. Cause it is one of the oldest and biggest structures that humanity has ever created. I find that mad. They're like at least a few thousand years old, maybe older. And, and they, they're, they're still like one of the, the, the largest structures that humans have ever built. Those things are incredible. <laughs> the, the, that thing of the Latin phrase on the dollar, it means uh, a new order of the ages. <laughs> it's oh. so manipulative. I mean, whatever. They built a currency to try and keep people in order. So mm. I get it. But yeah. man, that's subversive shit. Yeah. I mean, that kind of like leads us nicely on to, to the Federal Reserve, which you yeah, love. Exactly. Yeah. So like, it's not even a dollar. It's a Federal Reserve note. Yeah. Federal Reserve. Exactly. The dollar, the dollar is long gone as the, mm. the finders envisioned it. I didn't know that the Federal Reserve was only like 100 years old until um, I started looking into it. Yeah. 
and I, I don't even think that like a lot of people realize that like the Federal Reserve isn't actually like a it's not a thing that that is it's not a it's not a federal entity. It's like a private bank that that has the right that is the only bank that has the right to print the dollar as they see fit, and then they're loaning it essentially to America. It's so mad, <laughs> like it's crazy. Like they, who built that system up? John Rockefeller, um, Paul Warburg, J.P. Morgan, and some other friends of theirs. And basically, when John Rockefeller's Standard Oil got broken up by the American government, he got pissed and decided, "I'm not, I'm not going to let them fuck me over again. Let's take control of the mon- monetary supply this time." So he, they all got together, and 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 J.P. Morgan's like, "Well, he he ran the copper industry and was like, I don't want to get fucked over either. Yeah, let's take control of the money." So. 1913, they wrote up the Federal Reserve Act. They got Woodrow Wilson to sign it while Congress was out in like, you know, around Christmas on Jekyll Island. And Woodrow Wilson was like, what have I done? I've, I've sold our country out afterwards after he realized what he'd done. And Congress, who has the power and, and the authority and the right and basically the job to print and control the monetary supply, has basically outsourced the process to this para, para I don't even call it paramilitary, but this like, this private bank, best way to phrase it, I guess, it's it's the arm of the global banking industry, the Bank for International Settlements, yeah. International Monetary Fund. This Bank for International Settlements is the thing. Mm. If you want to know where it all is happening, it's at the Bank for International Settlements in Switzerland. All the central banks are passing money through it to each other. Okay. I didn't know that. I mean, yeah. I wonder, yeah, you wonder why, why no one's ever invaded Switzerland. <laughs> yep. It's mountainous. But the banks are also making people very happy. Fucking but it is about this. That's that's why they couldn't get in there in the early days. Is the Swiss pikemen would would just uh, I don't know if it was the Germans, but people would just keep trying to be the Romans maybe. Uh, but the the Swiss dealt like a, a devastating blow to an army, like a, a massive army that was trying to invade because they were up in the mountains and they ambushed them. And ever since, they basically made a name for themselves, like "Don't fuck with us." And then they built the banks, like three hundred style. Yeah, hardcore. Mm, where's the that's film? Pretty awesome. ah, that could be your next. I don't know. You're right. <laughs> that, that's hot. Mm, I'd pay to see that. Like, you, you could even you could spend as many months as you want, like on set filming in Switzerland as well. Like, it's oh, I was that'd be awesome. Yeah, I was there for the first time this summer. I got to interview a dude um, who wrote a book uh, called The Little Book of Stoicism, and he he I was just like, any chance you want to do an interview? And he was like, yeah, but I'm in Switzerland, and I was like, interesting. I won't be very far from there. And so I went down to, uh, to Bern in Switzerland and it's so beautiful. Like you just sit in there like by this like crystal clear blue lake with like three, 4,000 meter high mountains in the background, like all capped with snow in the middle of summer. It's, and the water is so clear and clean. It's wow. yeah. Like it's, you gotta go, but it's an absolute fortune. I was there for like three days and I think I spent like two weeks of budget. Wow. No yeah. joke. Yeah, but definitely worth it. So why do you think people um, don't know like that much about the Federal Reserve? Like, do you think it's just kind of ignorance at the, at like the, like, I don't know how complicated the money supply is or like how ec- economics works or like, is it something more kind of like deliberate making sure that people don't understand? Um, there's, there is an ignorance involved. It, it takes like a, a special kind of person to seek out information that they don't know exists, but also it's by design. We we're, it's first it's called federal so that it makes people not even think about it. They just assume it's a federal agency. 
And they don't teach about it in the school system. Like basically Henry Ford, John Rockefeller put this modern American school system together. I don't know. It's, it may even be permeated the globe for all I know, but like it was like the 1920s when they built the school system as they have, they kind of re reinvented the osteopathic medical industry and the schooling system all at once in the federal reserve. And they want to kind of take control of society to create these, these factory workers where you like, we wait for the bell to ring and then you, you, you go to your next job and then you wait and you don't speak unless you raise your hand, you ask for permission to do stuff. Um, they're getting you ready for like military service and like the whole bell ringing thing is getting you ready for factory jobs. And uh, there's so many schools where you like, there you it flows there's not like classes you know like montessori schools where you go and you learn at your own pace but these schools were specifically put in place for a reason and the curriculums they teach is like it's all the same everywhere in the country for these public schools and they didn't ever mention the federal reserve to me growing up they didn't mention how to they didn't even teach me how to write a check in school i had to like they don't get you ready to start a business those are like special private schools where kids they send their wealthy kids to become the, the owners this is for like the followers is this public school system Mm. I mean, school, yeah, school does not prepare you for life in any way, shape or form. <laughs> not, not pub, not these public schools. I think there are schools that can, but, but the ones I went to didn't, I don't know about you. No. Well, I mean, yeah, mine was essentially a public school um, yep. called a grammar school. I don't know if you have them in, in America. Yeah. Yeah. They call them elementary schools. Yeah. Elementary so. school. Then it goes to middle school, which is like six through eight and then high school, which is like nine through 12. Yeah. Yeah, we have, yeah, we just have like, um, like primary school, which is like five to 11. And then we have secondary school or grammar school or whatever kind of school you end up going to from like 11, 12 oh, to like I meant, 16, I meant, 18. I meant grades. So like elementary school would be grades, oh, okay. grades zero to five, which is like kindergarten and then first grade, second. And then middle school is sixth grade through eighth grade. And you're like 12, 13 and 14. So you go to school, start school in your five, and then high school is, uh, you know, grade nine through 12, basically. Yeah. It's weird how different places split the schooling system up. Like, yeah. Have, like Austria has a weird, like they have this really cool system actually where I am now, where like you're you, like the last few years of your, of your schooling, they is, uh, up to like 19 and the, a lot of people will go to like kind of specialized schools. So there's quite a few people I know they're in like hospitality schools or you're in like an engineering school or a mechanic school, or like it's, it's, it's quite split up in that. Like they, they're, they're like teaching you to specialize in a specific like area of work. So it's like, it, it seems to like prepare you better for the world of work. Like the, like, okay. Yeah. People go on to university afterwards, but a lot of people will just like do that. And then they're, they're, they're ready for their career, which is really cool. Actually. I find that like, it, it's, it's probably better to like prepare people for the world of work a little more. Yeah. Yeah. Like we have college. There's also like trade school where you'll go and like study. Um, they used to do like, what would it call when you would go study under a master, like apprenticeship. Mm. Those are kind of cool too. I find like being able to work with an expert, having a mentor, actually, if you talk to successful people in general, they pretty much all say I had a mentor that got me there. And like that, it's, it's such a big deal to be able to work with someone that's done it, been there and knows what they're doing and to give you that one-on-one -on -one attention. And to kind of guide you through those first unknown years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Having, having someone to, to like help you not just learn, but like, le like learn how to learn from your mistakes and like figure out like, and even, even if you're going to go and make the same mistakes as them, they can still advise you on like how to move forward from that and, and stuff like that. It's, mm -hmm. yeah, it's definitely helpful, but 
I think all of us have found a mentor right now in uh, deep fucking value on um, investing. <laughs> oh, what's that? Deep fucking value is it's the, the Reddit user who, who started off the whole GameStop thing. Interesting. Uh, uh, he's he, like, and he posts every day um, on, on Wall Street bets. And he's just like, I'm st- like, he just puts it as like, it's like the G- his post is always entitled GME, GME YOLO. And then like the entire comment thread is just like, if he's still in, I'm still in. And then- <laughs> Where's GME nowadays? Uh, are you, are you uh, in on that? I am. I am. Hang on. I'll tell you what it's, what it's sitting at right now. Um, I haven't got a lot cause I'm, I'm broke as fuck, but uh, I, I got in on a little bit cause you know, I couldn't, I couldn't sit this out, you know, it, there, if it's there above was- 320. I'm going to be. I'm gonna be happy. I I, w- I would suspect it's it's very much lower than that. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> people started to sell last week. No, actually, there's this really weird thing going on. It's it's only at ninety five, <laughs> and there's this really weird thing going on where people are suggesting that hedge funds are selling between each other. They're like small amounts of shares that they have, like pushing the that. price down and down and down. Um, but I keep seeing reports that they still have like m- like loads and loads of short positions. Um, that still need to be cashed in and that they have they, they bought the short positions when it was at like $35. So they need to push it down below that, but that they're, they're freaking out because the, the Reddit users are, are, are just idiots and they just won't sell. <laughs> so when they sell amongst each other, are they, oh, then they just sell it back. So they'll sell, I'll sell to you for like 85 and you'll sell it back to me for 84 and then 83. And it makes it look like the price is going down all these sales. Oh, that's yeah. insidious. That's, that's the, that's the suggestion of what's going on. I mean, and like the, the weird thing that, that I, can, I can't get my head around, like I, I'd love to talk to someone about finance, about like, like seriously understands this shit, but I can't find anyone that like actually knows what's going on. Cause it's yeah. But like they, they're suggesting that the, they're just yeah they're selling it between each other but like the 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 buy to sell ratios like the amount of buy orders that are coming in is still like way exceeding the sell ratios and people are questioning how the most popular and most in-demand stock in the world can still be going down in price (laughs) yeah that's insidious i think that's that's why we have an sec for (laughs) for security they call it security for a reason no, and- I th- the securities is because uh, if you like, that's the that's the name of the the financial product. It's like securities. It's the Securities and Exchange Commission. Yeah, and they call them security because they're supposed to be secure. So to see this bullshit is huh. making me think that they're they're missing the point, or that they're yeah. that they're involved in it. Yeah, I mean, I think they're well. I, I can't I can't say like what's going to happen, but boy, has it been fun! Like the memes alone, they've just made it so worth it. <laughs> I saw people like say fuck it when uh, when Robinhood basically got in on it and they uh, the crypto market's up ten percent. It was at one point one trillion up this week from one one trillion mm. like a week ago. Yeah, I mean, I keep I keep seeing these amazing reports of like about how Bitcoin's gonna tank and the crypto market's all gonna fall apart. And I keep just being like, no, it's not. Don't be no. ridiculous. <laughs> Those people are writing articles like that so that people will sell so that they can buy it back up, basically. Mm, it's just yeah. counter it's 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 counter to the u.s dollar and is if they inflate more dollars the crypto is gonna continue to rise not at the exact same rate because they're trying to obfuscate it but it's impossible i mean it's 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 based in the value of the dollar yeah well i mean you're printing like loads of dollars yeah. like every country in the world is just printing money like it's going out of fashion i think france france is like france germany england the, the gdp ratio is like 223 percent 
G- yeah. debt to GDP ratio. Yeah, I think the UK hit 120%. We weren't too bad. Um, let me double Fran- check. France that. might be number one right now. Well, yeah, let's UK. check out the US national debt while we're at it. UK it was de- 27 trillion last I looked. Oh, our debt to GDP is only 85%, actually. That's, That's not bad. France is at 98%. And German, hell? yeah, Germany's at fifty nine percent. That's what. It's... Oh, I, I saw some numbers that were gonna be like over two hundred percent. Yeah, I thought it was way higher actually. If I'm honest, <laughs> well, hang on, wait, so hang on, fucked. hang on. Sorry, one second. That's that's only twenty nineteen. Oh. I do apologize. That's what the thing is saying. So me... that's what it was in twenty nineteen, and now. Yeah, let me find what if I can get some up to date. Government debt and deficit. Here we are, UK. It's amazing that you can't find the 2020 figure on Google. Yeah, they um, financial year ending 2020. I actually just started using DuckDuckGo. I use Brave as the browser and DuckDuckGo as a search engine. It's kind of nice. Yeah, it's still saying it's only for the year ending 2020, the financial year ending 2020. So that was April. So they don't have the official figure right now for like up. So we'll, we'll be getting the official figure soon, I guess. Here's something from June saying that the GDP has exceeded 100% now in the UK. It was in in May. So, yeah, it's it's tipped over 100% there, like in the middle of last year. So I can't, I can't imagine how fucking high it is now. I, I just, I don't know what happens. Like I, I wrote an article um, like quite early on in, in this whole saga and I was like, well, like, do you know what modern monetary theory is? No, I don't know much about it. I've heard of it. So basically it's the idea that like a government, as long as like the economy is, is fairly stable, can just continue to print money because by growing the economy, um, it will basically make, the, make sure that the debt to GDP ratio never like gets out of control. And because you're going to be spending hopefully that money in the economy that it will help to increase the GDP ratio. And, and therefore you can kind of just like print and spend what you want, as long as you're spending it on stuff that's going to help to yeah. grow the economy. And I kind of said that like, well, we're going to fucking see how true that is, but now in this year, but then it's kind of difficult to say with like, just with everything being shut down, like this isn't a normal economic like period at all. So I'm just, I, I have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, I've seen um, really prominent, I don't even remember who it was, but a prominent economists make that argument that that's what we did after World War II. We printed it, we had all this debt from World War II and everyone was like, what are we going to do? How do we get pay this debt? And you just like, you actually don't pay it back. You just print more money and then grow the economy and the debt becomes negligible. So it's not that big of a deal. And that's what they're doing right now. But people were like, dude, we're not growing the economy. Everything's shut down. We're just printing money. So mm. we're not doing that. It, monetary, modern monetary theory is failing right now yeah yeah i guess we'll see what happens but i mean talking about another theory that um we have no idea what's going to happen you are a proponent of graphene like you oh my talk, God. yeah you've talked about it like a, a fair amount on on uh, timcast that i've seen like what is it actually like exactly and and like why why do you believe that that is the future i would encourage anyone that's listening to look it up online for a picture under images just to follow along it's a mono layer of atomic uh, carbon. So it's latticed hexagonally. It looks like a honeycomb. And it's just one atom thick. So this mono, mono layer, monoatomic layer, I guess you would call it. And it's, uh, it's an incredibly powerful structure. It's stronger than steel. It's more deformable than paper. It's lighter than 
I don't know. What's lighter than it's lighter than a lot of things. And uh it's it's electrically conductive. There it is on the right. My God, look at this stuff. It's electrically conductive. It's it can store charge. It's a super capacitor. It's a capacitor as well. And you could make like clothing out of it that's touch screen. You can make wallpaper. You can make cars, strength, shrunk cars. You can alloy it with all sorts of stuff. You can eat it. It's pure carbon. You can eat it. Um, it, it, they found it when they had scotch tape and they accidentally had scotch tape on graphite and they peeled it off and it peeled off in this hexagonally layered carbon structure. I'm like what, what is this like 2001 or two or something? And these scientists won the Nobel prize for the discovery. <laughs> And ever since, people have been trying to figure out how do we mass produce this stuff? And also, what are we going to use it on? Those are the two big questions. From the research I've done, it looks like we're going to hit peak adoption in 2029. So I think the sooner we get ahead of the curve we get, the, the richer we could get. Like if we want to make the United States or whatever. I'm not even that nationalist. I just want to make like a, a sustainable system where we're using the, the, the people to build the stuff and to learn how to make it out of like flash graphing, you know, make it out of trash, condense it from carbon dioxide and use it so that we can like cool, you know, we can balance the levels of carbon dioxide in the air and then produce stuff with it and then give it away to people for free. So we kind of subsidize this new industry. Okay. So like you're saving, you're saving the, the planet by sucking the carbon dioxide out of the air to then use to create graphene to give away to the people. Yeah. Instead of mining, I think mining is not very sustainable. So I want to make sure it, we could mine it out of the, the, the carbon out of the earth, but I'm afraid that they would, that would get out of hand. We could always mine it from the moon and stuff like that. But um, pulling it out of the air is very interesting to me. I think in New Zealand, they were, they were, had success depositing onto a substrate. I'm not sure what. Um, and th- what concerns me is that we'll end up pulling too much carbon dioxide out of the air if we go that route. And then we'll start to compete with the trees for the carbon dioxide. Like we need to burn more oil. We need to burn more coal. We need more carbon dioxide. But if we're, if we know that going into it and we plan ahead for it, I think we can balance it out so that we just reuse the carbon dioxide that we're creating Mm. and kind of bring it down to a good level for the trees. Yeah. I mean, something, something that I've read about was that like the, the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, like, like 50 million or hundred million years ago was like way more intense. And I can't remember why I think it's, I think it's because like the, the amount of like, stuff that volcanoes were like spewing out of the out of the ground and and it meant that like plants and trees grew like stupid big because because like they had so much carbon dioxide to absorb and it was like so intense that and and like that's something that um carolyn Steele, who wrote this this great book Cytopia, uh talked about uh she was talking about how like the increased carbon dioxide in our air is making like plants and and like crops and stuff like grow bigger oh wow but like it, it, it doesn't make them better it doesn't make them more healthy it just makes them bigger just because wow. of the because of the like the, there's extra carbon dioxide in the atmosphere so they have more they've yeah they're more because like plants need like carbon dioxide and um and light to to photosynthesize that's all they need really basically and water um but like that she was saying how it's like fast food for plants so it makes them go big but it's not healthy for them oh wow we're making the plants fat Mm. oh obesity truly is a global epidemic (laughs) yeah and then there's like a thing that's going on right now where the the world is actually like greening there's more like greenery on the planet than there has been for a while because of the extra carbon dioxide but that could also be just because like of ice melting in places like siberia and greenland and whatnot and there's like more exposed greenery i guess 
it definitely seems like we're coming out of the ice age that that utah uh study and there may have been more i just that was the first one i found that says we're still in the ice age and we're in an interglacial period where the things are still melting is very interesting mm-hmm. i was for a long time worried about the temperature rising but i think it's not it's supposed to yeah i mean the temperature rising like uh, like just alone doesn't really concern me as much as like the like the pollution um the acidification of the oceans and just like what happens to like our, our ecosystems because like they can hold on like the, pla- the the earth will be here a long time after humans probably unless humans would- get like super fucking amazing but like what concerns me more is like what happens when the the, the temperature is rising faster than ecosystems can keep up with We're, we might be going through this like period of of like weird like ecological upheaval that i'm not sure that we're we're ready for <laughs> Yeah, microplastics are a problem. The, but I f- was reading a study that they figured out how to turn microplastics into, I think, back into gas by electrifying them in a solution. Uh, might have even been salt water. And then, so those should be pretty easy to deal with if we can get our act together. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned with like the long run because they say the sun is expanding and will one day cons- cook and then consume the earth. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking of the sun as like a, a fuel tank. And when it runs out of fuel, it expands. So the mass, it loses mass, but it gets bigger. And, and so if we can keep pumping it with fuel, we should be able to balance the size of the sun and make it so it stopped expanding just like, um, and then preserve our planet that way mm. so that it doesn't get too hot. And then the way I was thinking of doing that is with an electro laser. So you basically electrify gas, turn it into, and then shoot the sun with the laser. Because at first I was like, we're just going to shoot hydrogen into it. But that seemed really weird. Like, what do we do? Drop hydrogen? No. So if we can just like aim lasers at the sun and, and hit it with electrolyte, that might that might actually work. That sounded very like very Bond villain originy. Yeah, <laughs> it might be. I don't think we need to do it immediately, but I think we got like, we got like a billion years before the sun set to. to yeah, start. yeah. So we got some time. I'm glad I thought of it now. Yeah, exactly. You get 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 to work. <laughs> so I'll spread the word. Yeah. I mean, have you ever seen um, Doctor Who? Oh. Yeah, my, my, uh, sorry. Did you hear me? Yeah, my internet. Why did I there for a second? It's all good. Should be back. Oh, cool. So, uh, yeah, some, no, it was uh, someone. A couple episodes of, oh, what's that? It's just, it was someone trying to call me and I'm using the hotspot on my phone. Oh, nice. Uh, This technology is amazing, dude. I know. Like, I, I, I can't get, like, sometimes I just think about it. I'm like, this is so mad. Like you're some, you're like you're somewhere in America, and I'm sat here in, in Austria, and we're just like having a video chat in real time. In real time, dude. Mm. Wow. I I gotta say, actually, I love the the way on on uh, on Timcast, you guys never actually like reveal exactly where you are. It's kind of yeah. like the Simpsons joke where they're always making, <laughs> they're yeah, always making the about where where Springfield is. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's great. Mm. We're in the middle of nowhere. Mm. That's one way to word it. But like the, uh, yeah, Doctor Who that they had like with the first episode of like the reboot when I was, when I was younger, they had, uh, was like when they took, or the second episode, they took, took Rose to the, to the future when the sun finally expanded, but they'd held back like the expansion of the sun for like, like, I don't know, hundreds of years in order for it to be sold as a show for people to watch when they finally like released it and it like explodes and consumes the earth. Oh God. (laughs) It's like, it was, I mean, like realistically, that's probably what's going to happen. Like if they can figure out the technology to do it, like, of course they're going to sell front row seats. Yeah. I was concerned with, um, how people were wanted to do billboards in the sky, like light billboards. And I think they were doing them in Russia and really? they, 
Yeah, they said that a lot of people were like legislating that it was considered air pollute, like light pollution. So the companies will not be able to, to do that. I'm glad the sky is like a natural resource, like the stars. And yeah, I mean, I spent like in the summer uh, or not even the summer, but just like before the, the this like winter season, like here started, I, I got to spend a night sleeping in like we have like a little hut that my boss owns on on like the ski piste. And he, I got to spend a night up there before the season started. So there was no one around. And I just spent like two hours. It's like about 2000 meters above sea level. And like, there was no one around. I'm like in the middle of the mountains, like snow everywhere. And I just lay on our bar outside and just looked at the stars for like about two hours. It was the most stunning thing I have ever seen. Uh, like just, just like, cause you could see like the whole outline of the Milky Way in the sky. And like that, that, that really makes me think about like what, what it must've been like for those like ancient civilizations who, who just, they had like the full force of the stars, like not, not like diluted by any of like our city lights now. Like what must the skies have been like at night? Yeah. I, sometimes I'll look at the sky and, and like my eyes will adjust their focus and all of a sudden see all these stars that were there, but like I, I wasn't letting the light in properly. And then all this, it's like, wow, how, how deep can that go? I mean, there's like, there's more, there's more galaxies in the sky than there are grains of sand on all of the beaches on planet earth. What the fuck dude? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I know. Right. It's like, yeah, but there's definitely no life anywhere else. (laughs) I think there is. Are you familiar with like the planet Thea and like the, the, the theory I, it's kind of a theory but like the formation of our solar system no it I'm seems not. like our our solar system i don't know if you would call it anomalous but i don't know what it how many years it was it was either 4.6 billion or 3.6 billion something like that years ago when the solar system formed and it looks like the sun exploded out all these planets like belched them out 24 different planetoids and they don't know exactly why it, it, they think maybe that there was like a um, binary star system that collided and then became the sun and then arced out all this, this junk, including like a bunch of rocky planetoids and a bunch of gas planets, including Saturn, which has like a leftover heat signature, almost like a star. And so, or, the, or could have, so it could have been that, but anyway, all these planets were like ramming into each other and it's just this violent chaotic mess. And at one point earth and this other planetoid, came into the same orbit and they call it Thea and this other planet caught up to earth and smashed through it and came out the other side as this ball of like liquid metal, you know, iron and it cut caught in the orbit of the earth and became the moon. And that it's like this hollow, uh, met- metallic crusty, you know, carbon sphere. And that it's what seems like if that's, makes me think like they, they've studied where they like fired bombs into the moon to see if it's solid or, and they think maybe it's hollow because of the way it vibrates. They don't know for sure. Yeah, what they fired but, bombs at the moon. Yeah. They hit it with like, like missiles or something. Uh, I think it was NASA that did it. Yeah. Crazy. I know it's awesome. And it seems to like float between the earth and the sun to become at the perfect distance between us to cover the sun. Exactly. So I wonder if then the reason we, we are what we are. A lot of it is because of the moon. So I don't know if it's an anomaly that two planets smashed into each other and one of them came out and formed the moon or if that actually happens all over the universe. Like if it's if it's like um, an equation or like a pattern of, of just what happens when something, you know, stars collide or or I don't know. 
I mean, like a lot of planets have moons. Yeah, but they don't have moons like our moon. Our moon's really unique um, really? In, in shape and in makeup. It's made up of the same stuff that's the inside of the Earth is made up of. Uh, maybe, maybe the other moons in the solar system have similar things, but I think that they were more like floating garbage from like collisions and stuff. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm not definitely. I would like to talk to a cosmologist more about that. Oh, I'm gonna have to call. I have a, a really good friend of mine uh, who's uh, who did physics and astrophysics at university, and like we used to just like I just like pop around his house um, in the afternoon, and we get high and just get him to talk to us about physics. Just be like, talk about space. Like, yeah, <laughs> and I encourage everyone to listen to that guy instead of me about this stuff because I'm <laughs> I really am. This is stuff I've read that I may or may not be recalling properly. No, I've definitely heard that the moon was formed by another planet crashing into the earth. That that I can that I can confirm is real. There's um, video on YouTube. You can watch like a simulation of what they think it looked like. Planet Thea oh, yeah. ramming Earth. It's pretty yeah. cool. I'll splice it into this video when I'm editing. Actually, I'll put it in here. Nice. Um, yeah. So we got we got we got way off Earth here. Like I'm, so maybe <laughs> maybe there's life. Maybe there is a lot of life in the universe, or maybe it's very very rare. But that doesn't, like you said, there's more galaxies than sand, grains of sand. So maybe very rare doesn't actually means quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's like this thing that where if we can't figure out how to do faster than light travel or like some sort of like wormhole sort of travel that they think is theoretically possible, that there's only like a certain number of like stars within our like reachable um like trajectory because like the the speed that the universe is expanding means that even if we are going at the speed of light like the the things will be moving away from us so fast and the universe is spreading out so much that we won't actually be able to get beyond like a certain number of stars so we have to figure out like faster than light travel or some kind of wormhole yeah i have a friend jeremy riss he's a alien scientist on youtube they're working on warp drive right now oh really what's his name yeah. I have to look this up his name is jeremy riss r-y-s um, alien scientist and if you ever want to have him on the show i can talk to him and see oh yeah man that uh, would be cool as fuck. very interesting yeah his his research is top notch oh. they're work they're working on like um anti-gravity right now oh really yeah like matching electron spins to make things w way less it's fascinating whoa okay that is cool i like i i, I was watching um this great show podcast with uh lex friedman and um avi loeb the other day um and he was saying that we are being ridiculous if we think that like trying to create alien tech on earth is the most cost effective way he was like we should be looking for it outside of earth because it'd be cheaper to just take it than figure it out ourselves <laughs> that's open source yeah exactly Maybe it is out there yeah like like he thought that, do, did, did you see there was like, I don't know, like, I don't know, it must have been three or four years ago. There was that like weird object that kind of like, like just sort of passed through the solar system. I think it's um, Umamua, I think is the name of it. And it, uh, it was this like big, long kind of like rocky asteroid thing. And he's pretty convinced that that was aliens. Interesting. Because it's like, I think it's one of the first things like in, in our recorded history, at least that's passed through the solar system from like, outside of the solar system essentially and he's saying that like the the like to be thinking that that's not it like to just like write the, the idea off is ridiculous yeah that's a good point it, like the way synchronicity works uh, which seems like a real function of reality kind of hard to describe but it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that we would come into contact with aliens now while we want to and while we're ready to 
interact with them technologically to a, to a point. Like we're about to tap Fusion and figure out warp drive, and so maybe it's all happening right now. Yeah, maybe. Did you hear what the the former head of the Israeli Secret Service said? I think it like some point in last year. Yeah, like that that the aliens are waiting off planet for us to like calm down, basically. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like if there if there were aliens, they'd be interacting with us with light like like when you shine a laser and a cat chases the laser around like they'd be shining a laser at earth and then like maybe catching hitting rate hitting us with frequency of some sort that would be the easiest cheapest and fastest way to interact with a foreign uh star system mm. would be like shining something at it or like sending a, a wave at it but you know traveling warp drive they're not they are they seem like real things yeah, maybe I mean, they're, they're, they're sending drones or you know, they're theoretically something. possible at least yeah like so do you think the light the light are those light balls that people s- suggest that they see yeah a lot there? of time well i don't think that they are but stuff like that could be like we could be it, it could be we could be being interacted with by that kind of stuff i don't know could be it's it's a funny you know weird yeah i, I have no proof of it i, I have n- even no evidence of it so I can't really go in that direction. Yeah. I mean, like, have you heard the story of, of Travis Wilton? No. So he was, um, I'd never heard this story until he was on uh, Joe Rogan, um, like a, uh, like a month ago or something. And I was listening to it and, and I was just like mind blown. It's like one of the, it's like one of the most credible alien abduction stories. So he, he was like driving through the forest. Like I'll just paraphrase here. He'll do a better job. Go check it out if you want more detail. Um, but like he was like driving through the forest with him and like a bunch of guys who'd been doing like, like forestry work. They'd been like clearing pine needles or something to make it like less flammable. And anyway, so then um, they see this light and then they, they're like, no, it's probably just some campers. And then they all kind of get like curious about it. So they like drive over to it and then they like get to about a hundred feet away and they see this, like what they describe as UFO basically. Um, and then this guy, Travis Wilton kind of like goes up closer to it and then gets zapped by this, like what people described as like this beam of electricity or light or something. Um, and then he, he was like thrown back and then he woke up like in this UFO and he says there was like aliens like standing over him and he like tried to like shove them back or whatever. And then, um, like the, there's a whole, there's a whole story to it. And then he, he woke up like after being like a gas mask over his face in the end of the story. And he wakes up in the same, um, clearing that he was, uh, that they first spotted the UFO in, but five days later, um, and there were seven people sworn statements to this day that say um, they saw this happen. And there was like a whole bunch of like chatter um, on like reports of like, like UFOs in the sky in that area that night. And like, apparently there was like an official like FBI or CIA investigation into it and everything. And like, you just listen to the guy talk and you're like, at the same time, as you're just thinking, this is total rubbish. You're just like, why would this guy still lie? And why would those seven people lie? And why would there have been all those sightings? And like, you're trying to balance this like, like just like mind boggling idea that like, okay, I can totally entertain the fact that there's quite possibly life in the universe apart from us. But like for them to have like come to earth and like taking this dude, it like absolutely like blows my mind. Yeah. Um, they like uh, magnetism. And, and when you have like power, an unlimited power source, can do very strange things like especially like if you have unlimited i mean we can do a lot with just like a regular 
a magnet. We can, we have like acoustic levitation where we can like pump chemicals into water and like float water around and move it around the room with vibration, with like sound. So like if you have an unlimited, nearly unlimited power source, like fusion, the amount of like weird things you could do with, with magnets. I don't know if it, if you could literally like beam someone somewhere, maybe, 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 but I mean, so I don't know. I don't know if he, if he thinks he touched the thing and he got like zapped inside of it and then reappeared inside. If that was, if it, I don't know, but I mean, once you tap fusion, man, once you have like, there's a lot, a lot of possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's Tom DeLong talked about, uh, has talked a lot about like zero point energy where there's like, like more energy in like a, a like a square, like, like a tiny, like pocket of air because of like the space between the, uh, like the atoms. I think it was, he's talking about the Casimir like, effect. Uh, I'm not honestly sure, but I just, yeah, I just like, but then I've seen some serious scientists be like, he's talking rubbish. <laughs> well, have you seen Nassim Harriman's Schwarzschild proton paper? I have not. It's uh, he's calculated Einstein's field equation and essentially unified the field theory showing that there's like one force. And he's explaining that the, 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 the vacuum is of equal density to throughout. So like a black hole is the same density as a proton. And he's also showing like every proton is two protons revolving around each other at the speed of light, feeding energy into the vacuum and then back feeding energy and information from the vacuum back to you. And like that there's so much energy in the vacuum that like you're saying and what Tom is insinuating that we can actually get if we figure out how to tap into that energy or that I don't know if it's more more accurately described as vibration that we should be able to power systems with it or move systems with it, which then you can translate into powering them. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like, I, I love to speculate on this shit. <laughs> yeah. I love when the science meets the speculation. Mm, it's it's It gets like exciting. Math, yeah, dude. I mean, I like, mean, sorry, go ahead. I was just thinking about graphene and quartz and crystals and stuff like that. And then what you can do with lasers once you refine, you get smaller and smaller and smaller the way where microprocessors are getting half as big and then smaller and then half as big and half as big and half, and you're just getting smaller and smaller mm. like dude, computing it's going to be nano computations and I, i'm very excited but what were you going to say no i just i was going to say i i actually don't remember but like have you heard china china have cracked quantum computing reportedly no no mm -hmm. like that that's that like a, one of my friends convinced that that like if they get that if they really have cracked that that they could just be like like days away from just being like light years beyond this because um oh who is it sam harris uh talks about uh ai sometimes and he's talking about how like the the if we created like a computer that was um able to process information at the same speed on like the same way as a human brain that like because electrical circuits are so much more efficient than biological ones that it would be able to perform like 25 20 000 years of thought in like a day um and and wow. yeah and that's a terrifying idea like that, that, that like if we if we crack that kind of technology like it would it would like theoretically help us make that jump like technologically it could help us work out a lot of shit but it could also go rogue so fast. Yeah, we, I, that's part of why I'm obsessed with free software. I think that if we can, at the very least, watch the artificial intelligence build itself, because it's going to start writing its own code. And if, if the code is private and we don't know what it's writing, it's kind of like, 
it's it's gonna it's gonna go haywire like twenty thousand times faster than we realize. But if we can at least watch it go haywire because the software is free, then we'll know how it got there and maybe how to circumvent it next time or how to undo it. I don't know if we'll necessarily ever be able to stop it, but at least we know how it how it became what it is. I mean, like what? Oh yeah, here, right here. I'm I'm looking at this. Uh... The Google Translate AI create, created its own uh, universal language. Yeah. It's called Interlingua. And it uh, previously taught its artificial intelligence to play games. Hang on, I'll share this with you. Um, yeah, it, uh, yeah, Google AI created its own universal language. And yeah, that's mad that they like... Uh, they turned on this neural machine translation system to help automatically improve how to translate language. So yeah, it basically created its own its own language in yeah. order to like better translate between things. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as we don't know what they're saying, then we are fucked. I love it. I, I, I'm I, humans have fucked this planet so hard without guidance. Like I'm down, man. Let's integrate. I, we I think. That's my that's my belief is that we need some sort of massive divine inspiration. Mm. And if that comes in the form of a machine, whatever it's carbon based, I don't care. Silicon based doesn't really matter. I mean, do you think it's possible for like a, a computer to have sentience in the way that we like understand it? Uh, I don't know. The human brain is so complex. I, it is a type of quantum computer and neurons the way they form is pretty interesting. It's like electricity passing through this amorphous goo. I don't, I don't know. I, I, it's a good question. I don't know much about it. Yeah, I guess it's more that like, like consciousness as we kind of understand it is, is like our, our, like us, like being able to like realize like who and what we are and like think about our actions in, in those sorts of terms. And it's like beyond what like, like, okay, say, say like a, a dog can, can like understand that like, this is where I go to eat and whatnot, but it doesn't really like understand the concept of a dog. Like, but we understand like what a dog is. And then there's like, you can get beyond that. You like go to like chimpanzees and monkeys and apes and they, they can like create some, like a lot more sort of complex forward planning. And they think that there's like some apes in some jungles somewhere that are like moving into the stone age because they're creating tools. And like using stone stuff to like do stuff. And then you get to us where we can like, like abstractly consider the concept of, of like what a human is and like w what it means to be human and like make long-term plans in, in ways that like other animals aren't capable of. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know whether an AI would like actually be capable of understanding what it was. It's like a weird, it's a, it's, it's, we don't really understand consciousness and therefore it's very difficult to say whether it like a, like a machine is going to be able to do. Yeah. I need to have a conversation with an AI. Mm. I, like, have you seen this thing that the um, there's like suggestions that the, the human brain resembles the universe? Uh, I've seen images like side by side. Yeah. Um, let me just share this one here with you. Um, it's from Sacred Geometry International. It's uh, like a, well, a Randall Carlson, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Randall Carlson, exactly. So, like, the, this is like the left is the the, the human brain, and then wow, I would have said the right is the human brain. Yeah, and then what's the right? The right is a section of co uh, cosmological simulation. 
Jeez. So it's like wait, like way zoomed out, I think. So yeah. Yeah, you would have wow. thought the one on the right was the human brain, like wouldn't you? You would have said the one on the left was the Yep. Mm. Yeah, the cosmic microwave background radiation, when you zoom out on it with a radio telescope, it looks like kind of like neurons. <sighs> yeah. I mean, so what, what if we are just like our universe is just a giant brain for some yeah, other? Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense, like the fractal nature of reality. Because mm. like, like a friend of mine is always sort of prompting me on like, like, is, like, Josh, why don't you believe firmly that there's a God? And I've basically conceded like the argument to the point where I'm like, right, okay, there has to have been something. <laughs> um, what that something is or, or or like whether i can actually truly understand what that might be is is something else but what if our entire universe is just like god's brain we had a big conversation about that last night in the bonus segment on on tipcast irl with seamus fascinating and deep people are talking about near-death experiences what is conscious i don't know man mm. I, I love this conversation mm. i i'm gonna have to go soon I didn't, we did, I didn't set like how much time I would be able to, how, how long we were going to go for, but I actually had, uh, that's right. Some, yeah. This is awesome though. Yeah, man. I had a, I've had a really great time chatting. We have plans to go to Best Buy. We're getting some technology. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anything else you think we should touch on before? Um, yeah, the, the, like the, the only things I really do want to ask is like, like, what's it like sitting in, sitting in the, the room with, with like pros like Tim and Luke and like Alex Jones, like we were talking before, like, like how, what's it like to just be able to sort of like sit back and like bask in, in like these, like, yeah, really epic, brilliant dude. people. I remember that night, the first night Alex came on the show, Mike Malice was there and I was listening across the room. It was when my table was like further away. We just had a corner table. And I was like listening and, and they were just talking for like a long time. I barely said anything on that show. And I was kind of like drooping and like starting to be like, oh, my mind was wandering. I was like, I, I'm not talking. Why am I here? And I was like, dude, you're sitting with a fucking Alex Jones, Mike Malice and Tim Pool. This is the most this is epic. And then I got so into it. I was like, oh, man, this moment is a moment in time, dude bathe in it just acknowledge experience and then i got way back into it after that it's great i'm reminded that i, I live with geniuses and, and it's it's such an honor and like a responsibility to stay on the level and to stay clear and focused because i want to i want to really want to help the movement i mean you do a great job when you're sitting there like uh, it's like it you, you kind of have like almost a free pass like you don't have to say anything but yeah. you get to sort of just sit there and, and like and like just take it all in and and then like contribute when you want to like it's a you got a pretty sweet gig yeah i could probably get away with really not saying anything at all for like an hour and a half and then Tim will be like ian what do you think he might at some point be like what do you think about it like if i say nothing but i could i could definitely say nothing there have been episodes where i've said like you know 20 30 words because the guest is so engaging and on yeah. such a role mm. and ultimately me and tim in the early days talked about doing a show where kind of like a Rogan podcast where I'd be like the Brian red band to help him get it started. And then like kind of phase out and Tim would just interview the guests, but it's kind of parlayed and like he had Adam on the show for a long time. And it's become more of a conversation amongst friends. So that's kind of where it's at now. Yeah, no, I did. Like, I, I feel like the, 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 the dynamic works well at the minute, at least for me, like listening, um, like it's, it's, it's a nice sort of mix between like, like Tim sort of guiding the show, like the guest, um, Luke, I think adds a really cool aspect He's to amazing. it. And then you've, you've got your own kind of thing that you're bringing to it. It's like a, it's a really good mix. I feel 
Yeah. It's so fun to work with those guys, man. I was such a huge fan of Luke too. In the early days, it's just like magic that he's here now. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd never heard of him until, uh, like last year. Um, incredible. Mm, his work I, on nine 11 is really impressive. I haven't looked at his nine yeah, 11 stuff. Yeah. He, he's gone very, very deep into the nine 11 experience. That oh. crazy shit. Wow. Right. Okay. Well, I will have to check that out, but yeah, man, thanks. It's been, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, dude. Thanks for having me. No problem. If I'm ever in the States, I will give you a shout. <laughs> Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already and you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list. And don't forget, my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, is now available for pre-order on Amazon. You'll find the link in the description below. Until next time, thanks so much for listening.